This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The recent release of the latest Avengers film pulled in $200 million on the opening weekend in China, and it has helped push Infinity War into the top five grossing movies of all time. The opening of the Chinese market is a boon to the film industry with hundreds of millions of dollars available for every new release. But the question may be is that, is it sustainable? John Mata is CEO and president of Wizard World Incorporated. He is also a former longtime executive uh, with numerous companies in the entertainment industry like the CW Network and the WB. And he is in Philadelphia because their Wizard World is coming into Philadelphia over the next few days. He joins me here in the studio. And on the phone with us is Ann Kokas, who's an assistant professor of media studies at the University of Virginia. She's also a fellow at the Woodrow Wilson Center for International Studies and author of the book Hollywood Made in China. John, great seeing you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. And great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, I mean, from your role, John, in the past as, as an executive and now with Wizard World, seeing the, the growth of this superhero genre, but also seeing it in China, I mean, you have to sit back as an executive and say, wow, I mean, this is an incredible market for so many of the entities in Hollywood to really jump on board. Yeah, I just uh, returned from China last week. I was there for um, about 10 days. The entertainment industry in China is explosive. But I think, um, you know, that good stories, um, dramas that emotionally connect with human beings, comedies that make people laugh are international. I I think they're universal and international. And uh, China is um, very appreciative of um, the um, culture that we're exporting from the United States. Anne? So one thing that I would actually note is I absolutely agree with this dynamic growth of the Chinese market. Um, the strategic challenges are that the U.S. and China are still currently renegotiating the film import quota, which means that there's a limitation on the number of Hollywood studio films that can be exported to the Chinese market. Um, now, the growing market size as well as the large size, as well as the fact that China's box office became the largest for the first quarter of the year um, ever, uh, really indicates that this is an important potential opportunity for Hollywood studios. But, I mean, when you see the, these films, do you expect, Anne, that, that we're going to see at some point, and obviously negotiating trade is a huge topic between the United States and China in general right now, but do you expect yeah. to see some sort of expansion in the years to come? Well, I think a lot of this will depend on the overall growth of the Chinese domestic film market. So there's a huge push for the for the growth of the Chinese domestic market across a wide range of technologies and knowledge industries. So if China is able to produce their own films that are that they're able to export into global markets, then I think we may see a contraction of the number of films that are allowed within the Chinese market. However, if that doesn't happen, and so far we've we've seen big films within the Chinese market, but not big film exports, then I think we will see Hollywood studios Hollywood studios still allowed within that market to build and grow their box office. John, you think so? Look, I'm very bullish on the Chinese market. I think, um, you know, there are going to be twists and turns. Um, this is a market that that has been, been developing over the last 
10, 15 years at most. And um, I think that the Chinese um, view it as a huge industry. They're allowing um, the construction of a huge number of motion picture theaters. Um, I, they've changed um, the reporting structure of SARFT, which is the national censor. I, I think there's going to be lots of change, and, and I think the doors are going to swing more widely open. It's interesting to me that now Saudi Arabia, which has been a completely closed market sure. for, forever, is now open. Um, um, AMC theaters are going to open there. There's, I believe it's a $750 billion fund to bring U.S. entertainment into Saudi Arabia. This is, um, I think, an amazing. I think it's the biggest opening of a territory since China, and I think China's going to progress and Saudi's going to progress. And uh, I think it's all good for the American film industry. But I mean, when you talk about what's going on in China, I mean, it's not just the fact that that films that are made basically here in the United States are going over there. It's that the Chinese want to have their own industry, similar to what we see in Hollywood. They want to build films. They want to develop films. They want to have actors come over there and do films in China. They are really looking to build it from a variety of different fronts right now. Well, there's no there's yeah. no question about that. I think they've got studios built that rival what we have in in Los Angeles, and um, there's an absolute impetus to build the um, film industry in China internally. And and I think when we what we see about this is that there have, there are some companies that have been hugely successful in terms of building infrastructure and building products that are successful in China. So if we look at Disney and their ability to not only sell their films in China but also their ability to build a uh, the Shanghai Disney Resort and to basically leverage their IP continuously for Chinese families. This is a huge win. However, we also see the case of a, of a player like uh, DreamWorks Animation, which had their joint venture, Oriental DreamWorks, that produced uh, Kung Fu Panda 3. Now, they actually have pulled out of that Oriental DreamWorks deal. So we see kind of a, a path forward for some companies, and then we also see some companies pulling back. And I think that's really the interesting part of the market. But I absolutely agree that there's a huge push to enhance technology not technology transfer within the market um, and that there is a lot of support for that by Chinese government officials. But obviously the concern, John, about intellectual property and technology surrounding the United States and China, that would be one of those hurdles that these two sides have to kind of get past to be able to have that level of trust, to be able to continue to build those relationships in the years to come. Well, there's no question about that, but my my personal feeling is that things have gotten much better. I, I think right. pi- piracy has been cut way back. I think that um, the sanctity of um, the intellectual property is a thousand percent better than where it had been, and I think blockchain... Um, Technology, which the Chinese government is propagating, I, I think it's it's a a, a method, a technical a, a technical method to help ensure the sanctity of the copyrights that are being displayed in China. So I'm I'm very enthusiastic. You know, every everything um, in life has progressions. The Chinese film industry really came from nowhere, and there were growth pains. But as it matures, I think we're going to have all the protections we need to distribute films safely in China. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, from what you're doing now with Wizard World, which obviously has become a very big uh, uh, entity here in the United States is China. Now, if the movie industry is interested in being in China, is a company like yours, Wizard World, interested in being in China to be able to bring potential stars to go over there and and, and meet with the fans that obviously are following a lot of these films? Well, that, that's a that's a very perceptive question. In that, I just got back from China and I was taking meetings uh, with Chinese companies to do just that, um, to bring the Wizard World shows to China. In any territory, I, I think that it's smart to have a local patron and local experts. Yeah. So, so we're trying to find the right partners throughout China. And we're also in business um, to program two Chinese networks um, with our partner CN Live in China to bring American 
American content um, to um, to networks that program throughout the mainland of China. So, so we're very active there. Is is it a, is it as simple as saying that maybe there's a, a thirst for the American culture in China right now more so than there's been in in quite some time? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think I think part of it is American content allows those non uh, those Chinese who do not speak English to learn English so that's that's one thing that's seen as a plus right and I also think there's a a basic interest in the American culture the American pop culture and that interest is international you know we had great interest when we met with the Saudi Arabians all all around the world there's an interest in uh, pop culture as we, as we uh, created here and do you see I that thirst absolutely and I think particularly when we think about comic book content, um, and, and popular content that's possible to turn into IP, into games, into theme park rides. There's a huge appetite both domestically for that type of real estate investment as well as the investment in entertainment infrastructure within China. So I think particularly in John's landscape, when we're looking at comic-related IP, there's a huge market for that. Um, I think also what's really great about that particular type of IP is that we see a situation in which it's something that really does transcend different national boundaries. Now, Don had previously mentioned comedy. We have seen some difficulties with comedies moving across boundaries. However, when we look at kind of superhero spectacles in which the visuals as well as the action really kind of take the lead, then it's it's a, a really kind of universal appeal. We are joined uh, here in studio by John Mata, who is the CEO and president of Wizard World Incorporated, uh, and Kokus of the University of Virginia joining us on the phone. Your comments are welcome as well as we talk about the uh, the Chinese entertainment industry, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Do you think, John, that we are going to see a point at some area down the road where whatever the entity is in China, that industry, and you said studios and, and the whole whole uh, the whole works, will be truly on a competitive straight platform with what Hollywood does these days. Well I think I think there's no reason why it can't be. But um, with that being said, Hollywood has shown a unique ability over hundred years, seventy years to create content that is internationally desirable. And I think I think there, you know, certainly many territories that could replicate that, but nobody really has. At least in the popular imagination, yeah. there is nothing like Hollywood. You know, you could probably do the same thing in London, but it's just not quite the same. So Hollywood exists kind of outside. It's it's kind of a concept. It's it's a idea beyond the actual um, film production in Los Angeles. So yes, I th- I think China can, and China will have a vibrant film industry, but I think Hollywood will always be Hollywood. Bollywood is Bollywood, but it's not Hollywood. True. Yeah. And? Yeah. Now, I think that that's, I think that's an excellent point. First of all, the types of stories that Hollywood studios tell um, are really distinctive and are, have been very capable of capturing a global imagination. One of the things that we see within the Chinese market is the rapid development of technology and the ability to tell stories that really appeal to the Chinese domestic market. However, when speaking with filmmakers during the fieldwork for my book, one of the challenges that I found that both Hollywood studios and Chinese filmmakers faced was the uncertain regulatory environment for content within China. And this is something that um, regu- that uh, industry associations like the Motion Picture Association have discussed as well, that 
it's difficult for producers to make films and ensure that they're distributed because at times it's unclear what type of content can be distributed, what type of content may be cut for final distribution. And even in the case of films like Django Unchained, it's possible that films can be actually pulled from distribution on the actual day of their planned distribution in the market. I guess even in this day and age, the technical process, Anne, of of producing a film over here in the United States, but because of the global nature of the industry, uh, these films are being adapted so that they can be in every market possible around the around the world. Uh, you know, from the the language to you know respect of some of the uh, traditions, some some of these countries, Hollywood is has just that this this massive ability to be able to adapt to to whatever country they're going to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is both a strength in terms of being able to create these kind of universally appealing narratives. It also is a challenge in the sense that there is a temptation for Hollywood studios to make films to anticipate Chinese censorship so that their films can be distributed within the market with minimal minimal intervention from regulators. Now, what this means is essentially the power of the Chinese market can shift the type of content that Hollywood films make, not just for the Chinese market, but actually for the global market. John? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. And I agree with Anne's prior point about comedies, that they don't necessarily directly translate. Yeah. But what is happening is that formats for a comedy, like maybe the format for Friends goes to China, and then it's given local um, nuance and characterizations sure. and, and is re-made uh, as a Chinese uh, comedy. Um, I, I, I think that that is a cultural barrier. And I do also think that to the extent that studios are exercising what amount to prior restraints and self-censoring probably is not is not a good idea. But I do I think over time the um, the restraints that exist in a country like China, um, I think they'll dissipate. And that seemingly is one of the big questions right now because obviously this is a, a little bit of a different culture that you see out of China right now with President Xi as the leader. But a lot of still, you know, I mean, it is still a communist country. There are still some of those core philosophies that are behind there. But even with that. And I don't think there's an expectation that, that that those are going to change. You believe you're going to see incremental change in what is allowable, what is accepted in China in terms of entertainment. I, well, I do, and I think I think things happen um, both quickly and slowly. You know, the again, um, to talk about Saudi Arabia, here here was a nation that was completely closed to the importation of foreign cultures, and now the doors are wide open, and uh, things can change suddenly like that, or they can be gradual. And and I think that you know we have to be respectful of other cultures, and and uh, a, a nation like China has their own policies and rules, but uh, people once you know once once an industry matures, I think everybody finds their footing. The studios know what's acceptable, and, and the Chinese government might get more comfortable. So I'm, I'm extremely optimistic. Anne? So I would actually say that as someone who's looked at this market for the past 20 years, I think we've seen a huge amount of opening and a huge amount of change and a huge amount of growth um, in terms of the types of content that's allowed, in terms of the types of commercially viable content that's being distributed. At the same time, Within this, with this recent March decision to make President Xi um, have the option of staying as staying leader of China for life, yeah. I think what we're seeing is a situation in which there is a certain pulling back and a certain concern among creative producers and filmmakers and content producers that this may mean that there won't be a change in terms of the possibilities for regulation. Um, so I think that we are in a current period of greater conservative behavior.
Well, let me go ahead, John. Well, I, you know, it's just, it's just so hard to know. For example, Sarft now reporting to a new industry. It's I think it's too soon to yeah. see how that's going to shake out. And and I you, you could be absolutely right that things are going to stay where they are or re- regress. But I'm I'm pretty positive that um, th- there's going to be a continued um, progression towards more openness. I don't know how long that's going to take, but uh, yeah. I, I'm optimistic. Well, to touch on Saudi Arabia for a second, you mentioned the openness there. I mean, they obviously still, they're in the process of changing a variety of things. Obviously, their approach to what women can and cannot do in Saudi Arabia is is developing. And for the entertainment industry, which obviously you have uh, numerous films that have women in, in high-profile roles, they, they're doing a, a lot of fantastic things in the film industry. How has that element kind of played into what you have seen with the with the American film industry with obviously all these films that are going to be going over there and obviously the relationship from a business perspective that Hollywood pro- will probably want to have with Saudi Arabia. Well, I think I think it's shocking to me. Um, you know, it's it's the most monumental change in, in a um, nation in terms of the entertainment business, probably since Nixon went to China in 1972 and the progression that followed after that. I mean, I, what is going on in Saudi Arabia, opening the door, hosting events in Los Angeles for the film industry, welcoming people to come, setting up a, a, a multi-hundred million dollar fund for, for the creation of films. Yeah. You know, a year ago, two years ago, it would have been unthought of. You know, and that is a that is a culture that was resistant to the importation of culture from America or other places, and and now the door is wide open. You know, it's it's the most it's it's fascinating to me what's going on there. And how much did that occur in, in China in years past? So what I think what we're seeing, and I think this is a really interesting parallel in a way, kind of not immediately not immediately obvious, but I think that there are some significant parallels in the sense that. These are both countries that are trying to diversify the types of industries that they're involved in. And they're trying to move toward more knowledge-based, more creatively driven industries. And I think to the degree that that is possible, um, while building up new technologies, while building up new creative capacities, but while also maintaining a certain kind of overarching governmental control, I think we will continue to see growth in both of those regions. Um, the main challenge is when we get to the point where content challenges government authority. And I think that's true both in the context of Saudi Arabia and in the context of China. Now, the advantage that a lot of um, comic book content has is that it delves into the world of the fantastic. And we're dealing with imaginary worlds and non-politically critical content. And I think those are the specific genres, um, along with things like animation, that have the most potential traction in global markets with strong media regulatory regimes. So you think that, that there will be, at least in the short term, uh, some elements of the film industry in terms of the types of films that may not be readily acceptable in, in China or Saudi Arabia, but maybe over time, it, you know, depending on how things develop, we may see a shift on that. I think that there is a possibility of a shift. But I think when we're thinking about the possibility of the shift, we're looking at time periods of like 20 or 30 years. Um, so I'm not, I'm not particularly optimistic about, you know, dramas or highly political content being able to be exported to China or Saudi Arabia. But I think that there is a lot of space for the kind of spectacular sequelized entertainment that Hollywood really specializes in. 
But I would imagine that from a perspective, from the technical perspective and the build out of the industry right now, uh, China is probably right up there in terms of the ability of what they can do with the technology that they have. Probably I would think that that they're looking into the use of analytics in terms of, you know, knowing exactly what is successful and what is not successful, whether it be film or TV, John. Well, I think I think that's exactly right. And uh, I agree with Anne that the kinds of pop culture that emanates from the superhero movies and the comic books is completely non-political. Yeah. I think I think that in America we we've got a very different kind of view about our freedoms to express whatever we want by the written word, television, yeah. film. Um, it's I think it's a much different situation in different parts of the world. And the, the certain genres like the comics and superheroes are com- are completely pure politically. There there are no themes that I can even think of that uh, might ruffle fe- feathers. But there are not the freedoms to get into the kind of topics any filmmaker in America can get into. It does change a little bit, Anna, and I mentioned about how Avengers is, has soared in terms of its box office receipts because of uh, of China being open and the success they had there uh, in the opening weekend and still have. It's kind of rewriting th- that that list of top ten films because you have these markets that are that are coming online right now. And you know, realistically, when some of those films that were uh, you know in the top ten before, they didn't have the ability to go to places like China or Saudi Arabia. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why this renegotiation of the film quota is so important, because if films can't enter the Chinese market through that um, film quota, so basically the limited number of films that can be distributed within the Chinese market per year, then it's impossible for them to break that top 10 number unless they have a, you know uncharacteristically large U.S. domestic or other global, uh, other global box office numbers. The other thing I think, just kind of circling back to this question of data and analytics, I absolutely agree with this point. And I think one of the things that's important to bring up is the really kind of robust, big data-driven filmmaking capacities of film of companies like Alibaba and Tencent that are driving a lot of domestic production within the Chinese market. Now, a lot of the data that they have and a lot of the types of films that they're making are really kind of focused on Chinese domestic films. Um, like, adapt, for example, adaptations of the novel by Bo Jingming, which is a, uh, called Tiny Times, um, was based on big, big data analytics through Tencent. Um, so we are seeing a lot of applications of these technologies within the Chinese domestic market. But because a lot of Chinese social media platforms rely primarily on the domestic market, we're not seeing as much of that for global audiences. How much are the Alibabas and the Tencent looking to get into content and entertainment, kind of similar to what we see now with Amazon and Google? I mean, there's a huge push, both domestically and internationally. Domestically, it's more along the lines of actual film production activity. Internationally, it has to do more with funding with funding different projects. Right. And this is both film production as well as short and TV length productions. And I think that they really will become larger players over time. Um, The challenge is that while China has a lot of these robust domestic social media players, like most prominently the BAT or Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent, um, as well as the social media platforms like WeChat, a subsidiary of Tencent, a lot of these platforms really haven't expanded significantly beyond the Chinese market and the Chinese diasporic market. John? Well, I think um, in terms of technology, what what I've seen in China is fascinating to me. The Chinese companies, I would say, are at least as advanced or more advanced than we are in terms of the ability to disseminate and measure content. Um, I think that um, something that, that I see in China that 
may be happening here, but it's more generational, is my sense is that most Chinese consume their television on mobile devices. I and right. Anne may know better than, yeah. than I do, but I am not. I'm seeing a whole generation that really is not used to the uh, flat panel screen, and <laughs> and that's the television. That <laughs> flat the, panel, they've gone right know, to the curved screen. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's it's a much it's a much different dynamic. And I was told that there there's there were one or two generations in China where the television selections in China, because they were state owned primarily, it was not appealing to to the younger audience. Yeah. So the younger audience has kind of bypassed what we would think of as traditional TV and have gone to internet and mobile um, um, platforms to view television content. It's really really interesting. And that content is measured very, very accurately, you know, because you, there's real-time data. And so obviously when you're talking about China, that's a that's a part of this industry that still is, is probably, I would think, in its nascent days and really has the chance to build out in the years to come is all the different content providers and actually producing the content. If, for example, Netflix is not in China currently, and there are other there are others that provide the SVOD services, but I, I think there's huge, as I told you, we're, we're programming two networks in China yeah. uh, presently. So there, I think there's huge opportunity in, in the... Um, um, ability to program devices with um, foreign content. What what basically holds a, a, a provider back right now from being able to to bring their content to China? Like you mentioned, Netflix so, is not there right now. And what what's holding them back right now? Yeah, so I think that there are a couple of key points here. First of all, Netflix content is in China, but Netflix the platform isn't in China. And okay. I think this is really at the crux of a lot of the challenges that um, the digital platforms face. China in 2017 passed a new cybersecurity law, which required all companies that store personal and critical information about Chinese citizens to store their data locally within China, which that was, which both led to Apple to migrate their data storage to a Chinese government-run um, data center, but also has pre- presented a really big challenge for any companies that any company that needs to store their data within the Chinese within the Chinese market. Also, when we look at from when we look at a security standpoint, the reason why um, companies like Facebook, like Google, um, have pulled out of or have not been allowed into the Chinese market is because of the type of data that they're able to collect about Chinese citizens and the security risk that, um, that the Chinese government perceives those companies present. So while foreign companies have been able to distri- foreign digital companies have been able to distribute their content, they have yet to be able to successfully enter that platform market precisely because of the technical infrastructure that, that, that it demands. So I think this is a huge kind of potential challenge for market entry with regard to this sector of the market. Well, I, I agree with that. And, and the interesting thing to me is that in, in the United States, if you have a camera and a computer, you can effectively <laughs> have a television network. Exactly, You yes. may, you may right. not aggregate an audience, but you can have a television network. <laughs> yes. in, in China, <clears throat> you have to have a license to distribute programming. And, and so there, there, are, there are hurdles for companies coming in, and, and there are political and governmental reasons why that is so there. Um, you know, the, one of the, I, I think the core difference is that when you have a population of a, of a, a billion, 300 million people, that is a huge population yeah. To, yeah. to kind of govern. And uh, there are different, different uh, rules in effect um, because it's a different kind of society with a different population than the U.S. has. But it is, it's, yeah. I mean, it is an amazing market, Anne, and, and it's one that, that seemingly Hollywood is going to thirst to want to be a part of uh, more yeah, and more in the, in the years to come. Yeah, I would I would completely agree with that. And while I've been I've presented kind of a cloudy picture because 
I've been talking about the regulatory frameworks and the challenges that I think that Hollywood studios have entering into the market. The main reason that I did that was because I think there is this huge push to enter the market. And I mean, obviously, it's something that I'm very passionate about. I wrote my book called Hollywood Made in China about this particular phenomenon. So I am very optimistic about the future potential for the market. But one of the things that really struck me as I was writing the book was the number of people who went into the Chinese market just looking at the number of eyeballs, not looking at the potential challenges. So I think, particularly for business listeners, it's really important to think very critically about both the upside and the downside in order to be successful. Which is obviously one of the big things because a lot of people do immediately think about the numbers of people there and the eyeballs and what that could mean financially for the company downstream. Well, that's absolutely right, but it's not linear. That's true. Exactly. Great having you uh, with us, Anne. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, John. Great to meeting you in person. Great to have you here and have fun. You guys are uh, here with Wizard World here in Philadelphia this weekend. Have fun with it. Thank you so much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.